to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. You are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I, glor I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no works like yours. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no works like yours. I will call upon the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. My rock, my salvation, and my refuge. Though the flood may keep on rising and the sun refuse to shine, His faithfulness will never change. In my distress I cried, How long, O oh Lord, how long? Then He bowed the heavens and came down swiftly on the wind. His faithfulness will never change. Who is God but God? And who is a rock except the Lord? And he is a shield for all who would take refuge in his steadfast love. In his love, I will call upon the Lord. He is worthy to be salvation and my refuge. Though the flood may keep on rising and the sun refuse to shine, His faithfulness will never change. Well, as I mentioned, we're receiving new members today, and so before I invite them to come forward, uh, receiving new members is a chance for all of us um, to think about our own faith, our own call in Christ, 
And so we're going to join together on some responsive readings as a chance for us to think again about affirming our faith and receiving the call to be a follower of Christ. So I invite you to join together. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus promises, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one snatches them out of my hand. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Let us affirm the call of Jesus that we have received. In our world where many journey alone, nameless in the bustling crowd, Satan and his evil forces seek whom they may scatter and isolate. But God, by his gracious choosing in Christ, gathers a new community. Those by God's gift put their trust in Christ. In the community, all are welcome. The homeless come home. The broken find healing. The sinner makes a new start. The despised are esteemed. The least are honored. And the last are first. Here the Spirit guides and grace abounds. The church is a gathering of forgiven sinners called to be holy. Saved by the patient grace of God, we deal patiently with others and together confess our need for grace and forgiveness. Restored in Christ's presence, shaped by his life, this new community lives out the ongoing story of God's reconciling love announces the new creation and works for a world of justice and peace. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to go ahead and invite those who are joining the church this morning can come forward and, and stand here in front of the uh, communion table. Well, I'm standing right in front of my own voice here, so maybe I'm going <laughs> to, maybe, uh, Aaron, would you, can you scoot down that way a little bit? Sorry, let me stand over here. There, that's, that's better. Um, well, um, just a moment to say that w membership at LSBC, what it means is, is two things primarily. First, it is a public profession of faith in Christ, that you are a follower of Jesus. And the second thing is that you commit to live out that faith in this place and this community amongst uh, these relationships. And so we're very thankful to have new members who are making that public profession and also the commitment for us to be together and living out our faith. And so I'm going to take a moment to um, introduce you to the, the, these new members, and then uh, I'll ask them the five membership vows. So this is Jason and Emily Park and their son, Hayden. And this is um, Russell and Olivia Raymer. And Rhymer, sorry, Rhymer, and their daughter Oriana is maybe somewhere out there in the nursery. <laughs> this is uh, Charlie and I'm uh, sorry, Bob and Susan Joyce and their son Charlie. He's hiding in the uh, the carrier there. This is Celeste Dix, and this is Aaron Hernandez. Um, her and her husband Zach are joining, and their their kids are Alexander and Fitlali. And this is Randy Craig, who's also joining as well. So we're very thankful. You'll see there's a couple names. Unfortunately, Eugene. 
and Calvin can't be here today uh, for different reasons, but they are also joining the church, and so we're very thankful to have all of you um, be part of LSBC. So let me ask you these uh, five membership questions. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? <laughs> Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Amen. Let me, let me pray. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for these men and women, for these children that are part of our community. We thank you for their faith in Christ and their desire to live that out here. I pray that you would bless them and that this place would be a place of grace and peace to them, a place of community and connection, a place where all of us grow together in Christ. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand as a way of, of receiving these new members. So let's stand together and invite you to join in this congregational welcome. You can see in your order of worship. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we as the congregation of Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church receive and welcome you in its worship, work, and fellowship. We pray that all of us, being united in faith, may grow into the likeness of Christ our Savior. Well, as we sing a song of celebration, I'm, I'm going to offer a, a greeting on behalf of the church to welcome these new members. But I encourage you after the service to, to also say hello and welcome them as well. Let's sing.
Let's pray together. Almighty God, King of kings, faithful and true, Lord, in your grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing your praise. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we may celebrate your glory and worship our Savior Christ in spirit and in truth. Lord, make us aware uh, of your presence this morning. And Lord, meet those of us who, um, who feel full and vibrant. May we persist in the strength that you have given. And may you, Lord, use our good gifts, perhaps even our weaknesses, to join in your kingdom work. Father, we pray that you would also meet those of us who uh, are wrestling, wrestling with questions of faith, with doubts or uncertainties. Meet those of us who are, are troubled with grief and sadness and loss. Meet those of us who endure the, the ways our relationships are shaken, in need of reconciliation. Father, meet those of us who are worn down, who experience the dull ache of the mundane. Lord, meet us however we come today with your strength, with your love and tenderness, with your words of invitation, calling us home to find our faith and rest in you. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. We turn now to our time of confession and a time where we acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him. And we do this both individually but also have a, a, a time of corporate confession. So let's join together. With the psalmist we cry out, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Let's sing together.
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. confess our sins we know that even when we were dead in our trespasses you have made us alive together with Christ that by your grace you saved us and you have shown us the immeasurable riches of your grace we give thanks in Jesus name amen well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 73 Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also take a moment to welcome one another in Christ.
Good morning. The Old Testament lesson is Psalm 86, 1 through 7. Woo, sorry. There we go. <clears throat> Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for guidance, for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. And the gospel lesson is John 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Again, it's good to be uh, worshiping with you, and I'm thankful for a chance to, to look at God's word uh, together. Uh, we're going to continue our summer uh, sermon series. You'll see a note in your order of worship that we've been um, doing a series called The New Testament Words of Life, uh, where each Sunday we look at a different book of the New Testament and then look at a key word uh, that speaks about God's work for us in Christ. And so this week uh, we are looking at the uh, book of Ephesians, or the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and the key word is grace, grace. Paul writes uh, Ephesians while he is in prison in, in Rome. And if there was a list of, you know, the best cities in the Greco-Roman world, you know, if there was some kind of Yelp or website about this, Ephesus was going to be on the list of one of those best cities, along with Rome, Antioch, Alexandria. It was, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. And it was a diverse population of over 300,000 people who lived in the city and it was a place of prosperity. And people came seeking opportunity. They also came to Ephesus because they wanted to see this spectacular temple that was there. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Diana, or the temple of Artemis. Diana was the goddess of life and fertility and was the daughter of Zeus. And at the center of this massive temple, the story went that there was a statue that Zeus himself had given a statue of Diana that people could come and see. And so people flocked to the city of Ephesus to live, but also to visit. And so we can maybe imagine in this kind of growing and, and busy city that there was both wealth and poverty. There was security and there was violence. There were those who were welcome and those who were not. And in the midst of this experience, the temple... The Temple of Diana sought to speak to the questions that people had. Where can I find success? 
How can I experience prosperity? How can I know life? And I mention that to have a, a context because it's into this great city and it's into those questions about life and prosperity and success that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he writes to them about grace. He writes to them about grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I hope that we can see this morning is that in this word grace, a word that I imagine is very familiar to us, this word grace, that Paul was inviting the church there and you and me today, he was inviting us to a different story. What we could say is a larger story, a story of hope, a new way of seeing ourselves in the world around us. Paul did not have a special word for grace. He just used the common Greek word charis, which simply meant gift. Gift. And gifts in his day, as in most cultures throughout history, were given to people who, in one way or another, were deemed worthy. Worthy recipients. People often gave gifts to create relationships with people like themselves, or maybe people just a step or two above on the social ladder. But Christian grace, what we'll see in our passage, Christian grace, this gift of Christ, is different. What is striking about this gift of Christ is that it is given without regard to the worth or to the standing of those who receive it. God doesn't give to seemingly fit recipients. He gives his gift without regard to one's social standing, to how one stacks up in religion or economics or even ethnicity. And so what I'm hoping that we can see is that Christian grace is not this kind of vague sense of divine kindness, not a vague positive force, but rather it is the discovery of God's gift of Christ for sinners. The discovery of God's gift of Christ for sinners. And so when Paul writes about grace, He's inviting us into this larger story, a new way of seeing ourselves, one another, our neighbors, and God. It's a vision, a larger story that goes beyond our own resources, beyond a great city, beyond even a wondrous temple. So let's look at our passage. This is Ephesians 1, verse 1 through 10. You can follow in your, your Bible, your order of worship. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Well, as you probably notice, after these opening lines, there's a lot of blessings that are going on, a lot of the word blessing. And this is Paul, after doing a, a welcome, engaging in this kind of long and formal prayer to God. And the God that he addresses is the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every blessing in Christ, we are chosen to be made holy, adopted as God's sons and daughters, redeemed and forgiven, given the spirit and the sure hope of glory. And as we consider this idea of grace and the, the gift that God's given, I want us to look at two aspects of these blessings to kind of intensify, look at, and understand this gift. The first thing we'll look at is that God in his love has adopted us to himself as his children through Jesus. God has adopted us. And the second blessing that we'll look at is that in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So let's look at this first one. First, God in love has adopted us to himself as his children through Jesus. Do you notice in our, our prayer that we just read that God chose us, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters to Jesus. God the creator chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. And we should acknowledge that this statement brings all sorts of questions, very likely, or has given rise to all sorts of disagreements. And I'm happy to talk about those things sometime. We can find a time to, to talk about those if you have questions. But today, what I, I hope we can do is not get distracted from the, this, the main center of this prayer, the theme that Paul is, is running through the prayer, to not lose sight of that. And that is that God is the one who acts, that God is the one who moves towards us with grace. And so to talk about before the foundation of the world, it is the stress that this work, that this gift is utterly of God. We praise God's glorious grace. We thank God because it doesn't make sense to praise or thank anyone or anything else. Before we could offer anything or build our resumes, God has acted for us in Christ. He does not act in response. He does not pay a debt or a, a wage. You see, see, the emphasis of this opening prayer, what we're invited into as we think about this larger story, is that everything that you and I have is in Christ is a gift. This emphasis is at the root of what makes biblical grace disruptive and radical. We can think about the, the blessing of adoption. If we are familiar with the concept of adoption, we know that a child does not secure his or her own adoption. That the promise, the, the security, the new and permanent relationship comes from the one who does the adopting. And so the emphasis here is that God is the active one, the one who has promised, the one who has adopted and secured us into his family. You see, as before the foundation of the world stresses the initiative being God's, so when it says he predestined us or that we were adopted, it shows that this gift originates and continues outside of us. Outside of us. That all of us in some manner were on our own, 
but God, because of his love, adopts us, moves towards us. You might ask, what are the most important words in the Bible? You know, maybe some of us have favorite verses, favorite phrases. I don't know if you're really supposed to rank the, you know, the verses in the Bible. They're all probably pretty important, right? But I have a candidate. You know, this might be strange. Some, some of the most important words in the Bible, and those are, but now. That's not, probably not what you're expecting, right? But now. However, in spite of. It's usually translated, but now. And I want to suggest that these are some of the most important words. We see this in Romans 3. It says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but now a righteousness apart from the law has appeared. Or later in Ephesians 2, all of us were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now, because of his great love for us, God has made us alive in Christ. But now, these words that seem so arbitrary, but now, invite us into this larger story. They direct us to the story of grace that there is the impossible possibility of a new family, a new name, a new connection in a world that is known for, by its isolation and loneliness. And I want you to hear this idea that when, when it talks about before the foundation of the world, God has acted to adopt us. This idea of but now tells us that God's voice is beyond all other voices. In this gift, what God says to you and what God says about you goes beyond what all other words would say to you or about you. But now, God has acted to adopt you as his children. And if this is true, if this is true, then what counts before God is, is not what we often pride ourselves on or what we beat ourselves up about. If this is true, that what counts before God is not our kind of place in the social standings, our wealth, our education, our status, whatever the categories we might want to choose. If this is true, that what counts is simply that we are loved in Christ that God has made us his own and that nothing can separate us from the adopting love of God. If this is true, then the church is a revolutionary place. Because irregardless of the world's categories and judgments, all who are in Christ, all of us are at the same level. All of us made by God, all of us fallen and isolated by sin, but all of us given a place in God's family by his gift. And therefore, there's no levels, no different tiers in God's family. God in his love has adopted us to himself as his children. And this is not just for our good. It says here that it was done for the praise of God's grace. That when we know the security of adoption. We, we know the joy that God has chosen us when we know the, the joy of being loved. It's for the world to see and say, wow, what, what a God. That we are to be bearers of this larger and different story. There's something more than my resources or how I perform or stack up. 
So we think about this gift that God's given us. First, we can see that we have been adopted in Christ as sons and daughters. And the second blessing I want us to, to give attention to is that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We looked at God choosing us before the foundation of the world, and now in this second blessing, we see that this gracious act has been revealed in time, it's been revealed in history, it's been revealed in the person of Jesus. You see, you know, how did God show, show forth his choosing? How did God show his adopting this, this gift? Well, the story of grace is really the story of Jesus. He reveals the riches of God's grace. He shows this grace being lavished upon us. He displays God's adopting love. There's a lot of things that we could talk about about what Jesus does in this story, but we could, we could look at this phrase that our prayer gives to us is that we have redemption through his blood. And that phrase, redemption through his blood, evokes the story of the Exodus. Redemption is another one of those kind of church words or religious words that we, we are familiar with, but we don't always maybe know what it means. To be redeemed is to be taken out of bondage, to be purchased out of slavery and given freedom. You see, the people of Abraham found themselves enslaved in Egypt, but in the Exodus, God went into the stronghold of Egypt, into the land of bondage, to rescue his people. God acted to defeat the forces oppressing the Israelites. He redeemed them from captivity, called them into the wilderness to adopt them as his own. I will be your God and you will be my people. And he led them to a new home, the land of promise. And so the redemption through his blood, it tells us a story again about the Passover lamb. In Egypt, the Israelites were instructed to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and to sprinkle its blood on the doorposts of their homes and that this blood rescued them from the judgment that came upon the land. Because of the blood of the lamb, God passed over them, freeing them from the ones who sought to hold them. In a similar manner, God has redeemed us. To think about this gift that God has redeemed us, taken us out of the bondage of sin and the bondage to death, the bondage to this world that would tell us who we are by the blood of Christ. He released us from what held us and forgives us, casting aside everything that would stand as an obstacle. And this blessing is described as God lavishing upon us the riches of his grace. I want you to take a moment to think about a, a gift that you have given or a gift that you've received lately. Maybe something that was good, or maybe something you know that was okay. I don't, <laughs> something that got returned. I don't know. I received at Father's Day, Father's Day just a few weeks ago. I got this awesome metal mug that you can put cold water in, and it keeps the water cold all day long. I love drinking cold water, and, and my my children were very nice to give me this this gift that I carry around with, and they kind of make fun of me for doing so, but it's it, it, it's great. And when I say that, to think about a gift that you've received or a gift that you've given, is to come back to this word grace, that grace means gift. And gift is something that requires a, a personal relationship. I, I don't know how you think about God's grace, but it, 
it's helpful for us to, to think that God does not simply show grace in general. It's not as if it's like a force you know, exuding out from God. Rather, the Bible speaks about that God personally gives you a gift. He personally bestows upon you a gift. And what our passage says is that it, this gift is overflowing. This gift of God's grace has multiplied and multiplied that it's always greater than our sin, always abounding to meet us in our brokenness. It's abundant, a, a lavish gift, extraordinary. And God gives it to establish a relationship, a connection with you. It's common for us to think that since God gives freely this free gift, that he expects nothing in return. But I want us to, to think about that for a moment, that the notion of a one-way gift would, was alien in the ancient world. Gifts in antiquity, as I mentioned early on, were given to create social ties, were given to acknowledge connections or relationships. And this is what God has done with the gift of Christ. Grace, this undeserved gift, draws you and me into relationship with God. But the key thing for us to remember is that God has subverted the human expectation that gifts in antiquity were only given to people deemed worthy of them. Those who were in the right standing, the right people to be associated with. And the shocking news of the gospel of grace, the shocking news of the redemption and forgiveness that we have is that it's given to us even though we're not worthy. It's not given because we have certain standing. It's given because of God's love for us. He gives his greatest gift, the redeeming blood of his son, to establish a relationship with those who are poor and needy. Think about the Exodus. God's actions turn the social standings upside down. God frees the poor from the rich. God liberates the slave and brings low the powerful. And in chapter 2 in Ephesians, which I already mentioned, but God explains that this gift reaches down to us, to those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, to those who could not rescue or lift up themselves. Those are the ones God chose to give a gift to. Even though in, in college I was a religious, religious studies major, I was required to take three science classes I didn't want to take anything gross where I had to dissect something. The classes I took were biology of dinosaurs. There's no dissecting a dinosaur these days. Solar system and one called the Copernican Revolution. My wife, who is an engineer, makes fun of me for these classes. But I want to mention the Copernican Revolution class. It was really interesting. It was all about the transition from thinking that the Earth was at the center of the world, of the universe, to the sun being there. It was about the scientific discovery that it wasn't everything revolving around us, but that we were going around the sun. And the point being that this was not some kind of, you know, gradual shift, a small change that kind of got tweaked in the system, but this was a revolutionary way to see the world, to see the universe, to understand our place in it. It was a revolution in scientific thought and how to see the universe around you. If you can think about this idea of revolution, of things changing from what is at the center and what goes around what, I want us to hear as we close that this gift, this idea of grace, 
invites us to this larger story, a revolution, that God is at the center with his gift. God is at the center of the, our lives with his gift rather than my plans, my resources, me being in the right place, the right geographical location, my good works. Those things are not at the center. They are on the sides. And if that's true, it brings a radical change to how I see myself and God in this life. It means the heart of our faith is trusting in God's gracious love and faithfulness, not in my own stamina or my own faithfulness or my acceptability to those inside or outside the church. Grace, this gift, directs us to make God the center of our thinking, not some abstract idea, but the Father of Jesus who gives us all spiritual blessings. This is true. If that's the center, it means there are no limits to the reach of God's grace. There are no limits to the reach of God's grace. Today, that gift is for you. Today. I know that some of us here feel overwhelmed with shame, unworthy to be here alone. Today, hear the word that God has a gift for you to adopt you as his child, to affirm that adoption, to remind you of your forgiveness. And it means that it changes how we see one another. That when we are quick to judge ourselves, our neighbors, one another, grace asks us what value, what criteria are we using? And asks us to check our prejudices and to change them. This is the revolution of grace. And I pray that we would know it today, that we would know the blessing of the God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. His gift is for those who are not worthy. And his gift is that you are now called children of the Most High. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are a God that is gracious in ways that are beyond our understanding, ways that disrupt the, our view of the world and of ourselves. And so we pray by your spirit that you do that work in us this day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She
So with you, the Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your heart, we lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, you alone can bring peace into the ever-changing wills and affection of sinners. Grant us grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the constant changes of the world, our hearts may be fixed on you where true joy may be found. Now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now come to the table that God sets for his people. Whenever we gather each week at this table, we remind ourselves of this, of this gift, a chance for us to reflect and consider ourselves before we come. This table is an opportunity for us to, to see and to hold and to taste the gift of God to us in Christ. The broken bread and the cup tell us again about the redemption that we have in his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That our place at the table is not because we're worthy. We've been worthy in the past, or we promise to be worthy in the future. 
are placed at this family meal of God is by the broken body and shed blood of Christ. That is the good news. Your place at the table is by God's grace from first to last. And so as we come to the table today, we are free then to confess our sins, to confess our need, to bring our fears, to bring who we are to God, knowing that his grace and his gift in Christ is sufficient for all of us. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you know of your need before God and have placed your faith in Christ, then come, eat, and drink of this table. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be a witness and an invitation, an invitation to the goodness of God for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this bread and this cup, and I pray, Lord, that by your spirit that you'd use them to nourish us and strengthen us. Lord, by your spirit, meet us Meet us to, to lift our heads that we be re- reminded that we belong to you as your children in Christ. By your spirit, meet us and strengthen us that we may walk not based in how worthy we feel, but based in your love and in your acceptance. We, we ask these works that your spirit can do. We ask that you work that in us this day. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're taking communion today, I invite you to come down the center aisle, and you can receive the bread and the cup from those serving, and you can go back on the sides. Uh, I ask if you're able to hold the elements, that you can hold them until everyone has been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we invite you to come forward as well. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or myself can offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward this time. Let us come now and receive the gifts that God gives for his people.
to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink of faith. In response to this table of grace, let us, let us stand together that we can respond as God's people, that we can pray and sing and confess our faith together. Lord Jesus, you have said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Therefore, stay with us, keep us by your faithfulness, and kindle great hope in our hearts as we proclaim the mystery of faith. kingdom might come, that the world might believe, that the powerful might stumble, that the hidden might be seen. Christ is coming to make all things new. That aggression may stop, that war would end, that peace would break out like a fountain, that pain and suffering will be no more. Christ is coming to make all things new. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to continue our time of worship through a time of, of, of giving chance to respond to God's generosity. So I'm going to invite forward the greeters. They, they have a, a gray basket that you can put your uh, communion cup in, and then a silver offering plate if you'd like to, to give a gift. You, you'll see a note in your order as well that if you'd like to, to give, you can also do that through the, the web, church's website or, or by text as well. I just want to take this moment, though, to say welcome again, especially if you're visiting. We're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, there is a black pad that's under the, the chair in the center aisle. I invite you to, to reach down if you're sitting there to pick that up and you can fill it out and pass it down so you know who you're worshiping with today. And if you are visiting and, and would like to share your information with the church, uh, Pastor Brian and I would love to be able to follow up and, and tell you more about the church or answer any questions um, to you. So I invite you to, to pick that up and pass it down. Uh, also, just another uh, couple of notes. Um, one is that we have a time of coffee and bagels, like hospitality after the church service. The table set up right outside the uh, the glass doors over here. So I invite you to stay after as a chance to get to know each other, to enjoy the weather. You can go play in the playground. The kids and adults, everyone's welcome to go out there and enjoy the surroundings. Um, so also the last thing is just to encourage you to take a look at your order and just to make note of uh, the summer activities that are coming up. It'd be great to have you come to the cookout and the, the, the park meetups as well. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, to God.
please stand and join us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy
blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We go in peace.